All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Jeff Tripoli, a drummer extraordinaire. He, uh, he reached out through Andrew Toy, and this was a really fun conversation. He's got an album out called Wabi Sabi, based on the, the philosophy Wabi Sabi. Uh, we'll get into that into the conversation. Um, this, was a fun, this was a fun drummer talk. Um, we got a song to play at the top. It's a bit longer, so I'm going to jump right into it. Here's um, Evening Sun off Wabi Sabi. Jeff Tripoli, dig. Son, Jeff Tripoli, the album is Wabi Sabi, available now on all streaming platforms. After listening to that, you probably heard some sounds that were unfamiliar, and Jeff, during the process of making this record, invented a lot of his own instruments to have an individual voice. And that's part of what makes this record so interesting and charming, is like, this is 100% Jeff and his voice. And that's hard to do with any creative ever. Um, before we get into it, the top half of this interview, like maybe the first few minutes, are going to sound very strange compared to any other podcast um, I've put out. And part of that is I lost half that interview, um, and we had to use the backup file, which is recorded in a way that's not as easy in the mix. So um, a few minutes in, it gets to be a different, a different tonality, and that's why. But uh, what Jeff says is still 
still still prominent, still meaningful and impactful. It just uh, it's got a different tone. Anyway, friends, before we get into it, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. And here we go. This is my conversation with Jeff. But awesome, Jeff. Hey, man, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for reaching out. Hey, man, thanks for having me. You know, um, I think I found your. You did a quote, I think, for Andrew Toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I know Andrew. He used to play in a Celtic band that my Celtic band used to tour with those guys. And uh, he's a great drummer, too, man. Oh, so yeah. That's, that's how I found out about you. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, when I talked with him, he had a whole Celtic band, and uh, and I found that interesting with with you too. And like, I think it's something. There's something so rhythmically compelling about Celtic music that dominates everything about that music. Like this whole like six eight feel and how like the melodies are composed and like the idea of jigs, you know? Yeah, jigs and reels. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. How did you, uh, how'd you, because you, as we were talking, you were driving back from, uh, your band's last show, and uh, it was your Celtic band, right? Yeah, we're called the Town Pants. The Town Pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what, why is it the last gig? What's, uh, well, um, a little bit of history about the band. It's run by two brothers named, uh, David and Dwayne Keogh. Okay. And they've been doing it for 25 years. Um, I've only been in the band for the last six years, so um, you know, to- our touring takes its toll, and uh, there was a mixture of you know people having a little bit of health issues and stuff mm. like that. So it was, uh, you know, it was about time for those guys. Um, needless to say, I'm not done. I'm not retiring, but uh, it's simply just another chapter closing in my life. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, there's also um, our fiddle player Johanna So. She's putting out her own solo record, and I'm doing my own solo records, as you know. So we've all got things going on. It's not like, um, you know, we're kind of like angry at each other or anything like that. It's quite quite the opposite. We all like uh, had a really great retirement little party last night. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, bittersweet. Oh, right okay. On. So, like, well, that, well, that's cool that it's like a friend re- friendly resolve. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, um, and that's and that's, you know, the tour that like intensely and with that type of music like the venues i imagine you play are very specific kind of like clubs and stuff oh we do mostly irish festivals and celtic festivals yeah we would travel around um canada we'd be going all over the states and uh we've actually made trips out to ireland and scotland we actually have a week tour of scotland coming up um so that's going to be the actual closing but as far as like the shows go for official shows. That was the last one that we played last night. So when we tour Scotland, it's sort of like you're on the tour bus with the fans and the band, and we're all hanging out. And we stop at all the places along the tour and like jam in the pubs and stuff like that. So there's not like an official stage and a PA system and a drum set. It's just more like uh, if you were to think of like a tourist kind of tour company setting it up so that you actually go on a tour of scotland like if you're a tourist but they cater to bands so that the band gets their fans to sign up and uh one year we went to ireland we had about 75 people sign up to come with us and it was pretty incredible like the one gig we had 
because we were out there for about a week. The one gig we did have that was an official gig on a stage with a drum set and a PA system, we looked around the room between songs and I saw all of our fans from, well, at this point, their family, but you know, from Hawaii to Chicago to New York to uh, Ottawa and up to New Brunswick. I mean, we've got people all over the place. So it's really bittersweet to see it close, but you know, all good things come to an end. Right, right. But what a cool way to like kind of like not because it's one it's one thing to learn a music and study it and play it and incorporate it into your your vocabulary, but to dive into the culture like that and to be like yeah. in it, like you're playing on the you're playing on the pub floor. You're not playing a you know uh, yeah. That's a, like is a real deal as it gets. So like fully understand and immerse yourself in that music. I like I can't think of a more real way to do it than what you described yeah there is no other way to do it really you know the funny thing is, is i don't have a drop of celtic blood in my system i'm italian <laughs> yeah. i'm upstate italian but uh, <laughs> so i can't quite keep up with most of them there but uh, you know the irish culture is so inviting and it's such a rich culture especially with music and history as well you know there's a lot to tell yeah. and uh yeah it's a great culture but, okay. you know, now's the time for me to move on, find new projects, and I've got my own drum record that I've put out, which is my second release, and uh, a whole bunch of collaborations with other drummers, and um, hopefully Andrew Toy will be yeah. a collaboration coming up in the future. Very and good. Um, I owe a lot to um, my mentor, his name's Butch Norton, and he's the, he's the drummer with Lucinda Williams currently, and was the drummer for the Eels back in the 90s, if oh, you can remember those Eels. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. Nova came for the soul was that right. song they had. That was a great, yeah, yeah. But that whole record. That was a great record. Yeah, um, beautiful freak, great record, man. I think I think the Eels. I think he just put out his like fourteenth record or something. Fourteenth yeah. album. He's still going. Yeah, he's still going. And I talked to Butch on a regular basis, and I'm not sure if he hinted at it, but you know, he's definitely still talking to those guys. So, um, and recent, I think I can't say for sure what he's been talking about, but uh. I know he's still he's still like really well connected with a lot of people. Uh, Butch Norton, I he's my mentor and he's really like opened me up to a lot of ways to practice creativity and how to be a solid drummer and like sort of like uh, a really great leadership he has. But uh, also just the fact that um, with different drummers coming in to collaborate, it's a whole new kind of music. It really doesn't have a specific genre. You know, unless you call it like maybe world music or something like that, but it's it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what the genre is, and that's what I think is so creative and uh, interesting about it. You know, a lot of it's what I'm doing is improvised as well. So, right. So, and yeah, for everyone who's listening, we're we're talking about wabi sabi and um, rhythm changes. Um, like what kind of what what uh are Butch's like ways to practice uh, practice creativity that inspired you how did like and how did you meet butch like um i met butch pretty much the same way i meet a lot of folks um just like yourself i just do my research and i reach out with an email and the people that get back to me um you know i start building relationships with them uh, and with butch i had just been uh releasing my first record which was a a pandemic release it was, you know everybody got off the road and it's touring stops so rather than sit around and watch seinfeld all day which i did but i just decided to um record my own record and 
just experiment with it. And that came out um, right after the pandemic. Well, pretty much after, you know, when things started getting back to normal. And uh, from there, I just reached out for other drummers that were making drum only albums. You know, not like a jazz drummer doing solos, but like drummer only albums. So I went on to drummerworldforum.com and I put it up there, you know, who's doing this? And somebody got back to me and said, look up Butch Norton. So I did. And he has a project he has um, called La Prima Lingua. And that was done with himself and another drummer who was, uh, they call themselves AKA Butch Jerome. So that's Butch Norton and Michael Jerome is the drummer with Better Than Ezra. And they put together a drum drummer only album called La Prima Lingua. And I got into it and I was just like, oh, maybe I should try to contact Butch. And I did. And I didn't realize who he was until um, he called me on the phone out of the blue. And I said uh, to my my fiance, Justine, I said, there's this guy, Butch Norton. He's the drummer with the Eels. And she's like, really? You don't you don't remember the Eels? I'm like, oh, that's Butch. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and you know, he's a very personal guy. Like he's very easy to talk to, very chill, very nice guy. He's the humblest dude ever. And I've also reached out to other people in regards to drummers like Rich Mangiacaro and people would know him from his days of playing with, uh, Glenn Fry and Joe Walsh. Uh, he was also an A&R representative for Pisces Symbols and is now the A&R representative for Gung Bop's percussion. And Really sweet guy. He did a, a podcast with Butch and himself and this drummer who I also reached out to and got in touch with Adam Topol. And Adam's the drummer with Jack Johnson. And the three of them were, yeah, and um, the three of them were on a podcast together. And then all of a sudden, Rich Mangiacaro brought up the fact that he went to Syracuse University, which is the city that I'm from. And I didn't know he was from Syracuse. So I reached out to him. And it turns out we went to the same junior high school. Huh. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a very small world out there. Right. And so the way that I meet Butch and meet all these people is just by reaching out, you know, yeah. and hopefully people re return the call. I think that, you know, to reach out to someone on it, with genuine interest in the craft and like, or even just the share, like genuine joy for the craft, you know, or, or actual like wanting to find insight. I think uh, someone who's really into what they do, if it's drums or if it's writing or whatever, sees that 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 part, that guidance role that they can like kind of supply a little bit if they have the time and the will to do so. And like those are the guys, that, you know, yeah. those are the guys that really that are the real deal. And you can tell like that 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 means as much for them. Uh, you know, as, as like doing the thing and letting that you, inspire. You said it. Yeah. Right there. Uh, Butch gets as much of it out of us as we do out of him, if not more, you know, it's a great thing. And drummers love to talk shop. Drummers are very, very, you know, like we all stick together. So it's a great, it's a great um, group to be a part of. Um, and it couldn't ask for more, but yeah, it's hopefully I'm going to have a lot more collaborations coming up. On my next record, which is, you know, still non-existent because I haven't started recording yet, but <laughs> waiting for things to die down with the town pants before I move into that world, which I'll be doing that pretty soon. That's awesome. Like, so the kind of dive in, what were some of Butch's like creative, like 
exercises that you kind of, uh, or, or like ways to practice creativity that he shared with you? Yeah, he's got this, um, the first thing that I was doing with him was taking any old song, um, any old tune and try to play it as many different ways as possible. So I'll do one take with whatever comes to mind, you know, um, pretty much whatever would come to mind would be like a straightforward beat. And I do that one take and then I go back and then try to play a completely different group over the same song and do that as a second take and then do a third take, which is a completely different group. And then once I got used to doing different takes on one song, he would say, okay, now do this beat verbatim, which means play it exactly as it is. Then once you get that take, go over and play a second group that will go on top of that to accompany it. And then go back and play a third group that will embellish that. So you're actually building, constructing parts that work interlocking with each other, sort of that way. And other things about practicing creativity, like he's got his contraption kit, which is his agitator Bauron drum, which uh, is an agitator from a washer dryer machine and a Bauron drum on top. Celtic drum, right? Yep, yeah. but he doesn't play it like Celtic. He plays it differently. He puts it on top of the agitator and sort of plays it like, um, it's hard to describe, kind of like a hand drum, you know. Um, and things like found sounds, putting tin cans on the drums. Um, I do something where I take like a bicycle hanging rack frame that you put on your wall to hang a bicycle in your garage. And I put it on top of the cymbal so I just get all these different sounds from experimenting um using bottle caps as shell shakers using um making my own instruments which i did on wabi sabi um and that however making my own instrument was definitely sparked by butch but really heavily influenced by this composer that i've gotten into named harry parch Hmm. the guy who was like a he's kind of like all over the place right he was kind of like a um a nomad in a way right yeah, you're right. Yeah. He was a train jumping hobo yeah, during yeah. the Depression era. So uh, he was born in 1901, really early 20th century guy. And he was doing things like creating his own instruments and using microtonal scales, um, which was really new to me, especially as a drummer. I don't usually work with scales. Right. Um, and to give some of your listeners an idea of what a microtonal scale is, for those that might not know, um, a usual musician would play in an octave of eight notes so going from g to g is eight notes but going to g to g in harry parch's microtonal scale was 43 notes (laughs) Mm. yeah and sorry (laughs) oh go ahead no 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 like uh, um it's interesting because you know that's like the whole like uh eastern like the the fretless instruments and the yeah. idea of just like mathematically, the idea of like, all right, this is an inch apart. Well, how many centimeters? Well, how many milli? You know, you can keep dividing yeah. um, that ratio, which makes pitch. And like, it's interesting because like our ears, like when you when you tamp, like do you do you play any other instruments other than like percussion instruments? Do you mess around with? Imagine like you would have to have dealt with like piano if you went to any type of schooling. But um, yeah, um. I actually started off playing guitar as oh, yeah? a kid. Okay. Yep. My father and my uncle were guitar players, and 
my great uncle was also a Hawaiian steel guitar player. So at my grandparents' house, there were acoustic guitars hanging around and my grand or my father's electric guitar. And um, I picked it up. I toyed around with it. But uh, when I was 10 years old, my friend Greg Phillip and I were really bored and we were like, oh, let's start a band. And now this is 1993. And I was like, oh, I'll play guitar because I already have a guitar. I got my father's guitar. I was like, no, I want to play guitar. So that was the end of my guitar career. <laughs> and I started playing drums, and that was 1993. Um, but I've also taken two years of music theory in high school. So I worked a little bit with piano. And uh, I also do some backup singing. And I've done quite a bit of that in the past. Not so much recently, but I do a little bit of singing as well. Um, and, you know, I, I toy around a little bit with bass guitar, but not really anything outside of drums and percussion. So, like, with, with, the, with the idea of, like, a pitched instrument, like, you get so used to the Western set of, like, chromatic notes. And if there's anything in between, it just sounds disorienting in a bit. The lack of resolve, you know? And I like, think it's because we've sort of been put into a box, like, this is the correct way to play. Right. But the reason behind Harry Parch's use of the microtonal scale, from what I understand from my research, which I still have a lot of research left to do, is that it's supposed to mimic the human voice. And now if the human voice talked in key, it would sound really funny. And we don't talk like that naturally mm -hmm. as humans. Unless so we talk like this <laughs> and the notes go up if you have a question and they go down, you make a statement. And, you know, so that's the idea behind why I wanted to um, have something like that on my record with Wabi Sabi was because there were no lyrics. There are no um singing parts so i needed something to sort of fill that spot mm. and what i did was i created something i called the hammer slide which yeah, I is saw basically... that in your video the can oh right? yeah 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 i um took a wooden shelf like a piece of wood and butchered my dad's old electric guitar and took the tuning knobs off of it so that i could string wires across it and tune it and i sort of strike it with um like a pencil or mini drumsticks. And I use a side of an old cymbal stand as a slide piece, like a lap steel guitar. So it's kind of a cross between a hammer dulcimer and a slide guitar. And uh, it's really fun. And uh, it takes the place kind of of the human voice. So it fills that spot for the listener. And of other, other things, you know, I've uh, used like mixing bowls with marbles and I just spin the marbles in the mixing bowl. It sounds like crickets interesting stuff and uh it, the coolest thing about it is not only am i being creative but it's my own voice and nobody else has those instruments but me so it's completely unique right right and what's it, it's that's it's cool because like when i was listening because I, I listened to the record like maybe three or four times to get ready to talk with you and i was trying to figure out like what am i hearing and like i'm hearing like it it sounds like rulers being bent in you know at different positions to get different pitches but when I watched the video, I was like, "Oh, that 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 checks out. I hear that now." <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but cool. That, it's cool because like certain things, like just in the proximity of regular life, are really tonally interesting as percussion instruments. You know what I mean? Like, oh, just to, like slap a a pot or slap like a a light fixture like on on the wall with like no switches. You get a cool sound there. And it's, oh yeah. 
and it's 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 like the uh, the equivalent to a a writer hearing a, a passerby say a phrase, or you know, or like the uh, the photographer seeing a a, a, a still in, mo- in something happening and capturing that moment. You know, like all these little yeah, things are absolutely. like very. The world um, is your instrument. Right. Yeah. Well said. But you know. Yeah, and it's fun because um, it's uh, if you're able to really know where to find ways to get inspired. If you know like how to get inspired by certain things, it's difficult to understand. But the way that like um, the feel of a certain kind of dance makes a drummer want to play a certain way. Yeah. Or um, another great example is how Billy Kreutzmann and Mickey Hart, the Rhythm Devils from Great De- the Grateful Dead, would do the um, Apocalypse Now soundtrack. And they did that by watching the movie and playing along with it. And they would get inspired by the film. Right. So there's all different ways to be inspired. And especially, like you said, with the passerby saying a simple phrase, and then ne- the next thing you know, that's a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Like, I've never, like, you know, I, I find myself, like, banging on stuff all the time, being like, that sounds cool, you know. But I've never oh, really yeah. equated it to the uh, the percussion-like version of that, like, Inspirato Nugget. Um, so Yeah, like, and it's a great thing, man. It's the world's your instrument. Right. No, that's that's beautiful. I, I, I remember listening to a, a French singer-songwriter and, like, said something along those lines. Lori, oh, very cool. I'll have to check she, that out. I have to, I'll send it to you. I can't remember her name at the moment, but like, cool. uh, and like, she's got this interview video and she's just slamming on everything, singing, <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, but I, it, I remember at that moment being like, oh, that's right. And I haven't thought about that until this conversation. I was like, you're right. Another man. great example is um, the drummer from Wilco, Glenn Kochi. Yeah. He has taken the whole idea of what we're talking about to like the next level which would be uh, i mean you just have to check him out he's got his obviously he's done great work with wilco but his side project is uh he's got this thing where he creates a new groove every day or something like that a new beat a week okay. new beat a week yeah <laughs> and he you gotta check out glenn kochi too he's uh one of those guys truly one of the greatest drummers of our time was it that's well just even to have the practice of coming up with something every week and just putting it there and being like that's that you know yeah, it's the discipline of putting yourself into the lab. Right. You know, go down and make Frankenstein alive <laughs> every night or every day. Um, so, like, okay, so you, you start this band with your friend. He kicks you off guitar. You're in the drum world now. Um, what's the gap where drums become this obsessive, like, thing that drives you to go all into this Celtic band? You know what I mean? Like, like, oh yeah because that that's a big as a teenager like yeah you want to play this really cool fun like world music and most teenagers, it's not nirvana i'm not into that you know what i mean like, uh, well it's know? funny you mentioned nirvana the reason i am a drummer today is probably well let me back up a little bit um most musicians that we know of all were inspired when the beatles played ed sullivan right next right. thing you know everybody's buying drums or buying guitars they want to write songs my Beatles moment, quote unquote, was Nirvana Live and Loud on MTV in 1993, specifically the song Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. And at that moment, I was like, I want to do that. And I never looked back. I was just some kid 
And I didn't really have anything else in life. I mean, I had great parents. I had a really great upbringing. But drums were the only thing that never, like, let me down. And the way that I got from playing in in bands in, in seventh grade, we're doing REM and Radiohead stuff, to playing with the Celtic band is a really long journey. Um, but most of it has to do with um, a certain festival out here in upstate New York is called the Great Blue Heron Festival. And I kind of call it my crossroads. I've played in like four different bands at this festival over the span of, I think, 18 years. And the Town Pants were the band that I just retired from. The Town Pants at the time, before I actually knew who they were, were the headliners of these festivals and became really good friends of mine. And next thing I know, I'm playing in my own bands and we're opening up the town pants and uh, they're asking me to join the band, but I couldn't join because I had already gotten into a new band and I was sort of like already jumping on one speeding train going the opposite direction to jump onto the other speeding train wouldn't make sense, but I knew them and I knew their music for quite some time. And then stars aligned and things opened up and I asked them, hey, you guys still need a drummer? And uh, we connected that way. So it worked out with the festival being the crossroad kind of thing. Um, I never expected or had any like um, idea that I would be playing specifically mostly in the Americana folk scene. I always wanted to be, you know, Nirvana, bash my brains out and, and stuff like that. And um, but to find myself playing in that market, I think has a lot to do with where I live. Um, in upstate New York, there's a lot of traditional sort of uh, blue, well, not traditional, but there's bluegrass inspired music. There's a lot of reggae. There's a lot of Zydeco. There's a lot of jam bands. Um, Grateful Dead is a big influence out here. So I found my way into that group of people that I just really thought were most like me. And a lot of them were, you know, playing kind of folk music or bluegrass and, and really interesting Americana stuff. So, oh no, it's okay. It's, it presented itself to me. I didn't really have to look for it. In fact, looking for it probably would have um, made it not present itself to me. Right, right. <laughs> Does that no, make sense? No, it totally makes sense. And like, I think as long as you're out there and you're you want to do the thing, you want a drum. Someone's gonna someone's gonna open a door that they they need a drummer. But like, it's interesting because that same kind of energy that comes from, like like Nirvana or Dave Grohl or like the punk movement is kind of found in these kind of traditional like bluegrass and like um and, and like Celtic music and folk music like it's it, it there's a that same level like it's it's in a different tone and in a different placement but that same energy is there and it's yeah. hearing it for what it is or seeing it for what it is and that yeah. only comes when you really want to do the thing yeah you have to absolutely love it there's no other reason to do it. Um, I'm certainly not doing it for the money, although I can't complain. <laughs> um, and I have my fiance, Justine, she's a sweetheart and she supports me 110%. So without the ones I love and my kids, Ava and Maddie are so into what I do. It's really yeah. support. I have a great support system, which is really what makes it possible for me to do what I do. For sure. Do, are they musical? Yeah, a little bit. Ava yeah. is playing the fiddle. <laughs> uh, she's only 10 years old right now. 
Uh, so she's just starting to learn the fiddle. And Maddie, she's still young. She's only six. But uh, she's really creative, and she seems to be, like, sort of the stand-up comedian of the family. So I'm sure in some way she got my – they both got my uh, um, creative gene. But uh, I think Ava's a little bit more of the uh, the dancer, the gymnast, and Maddie's more of the uh, smart Alec. <laughs> what about your fiancé? Is she musical? She has great taste in music. However, she she can't play. She doesn't play an instrument, but she is a painter, so she's a very creative person as well. Um, but what I love about her the most, well, one of the things I love about her the most is that she's into the music that I never got into. I always wanted to, but never got into. So we sort of um, have both bases covered between us with musical taste. And she's uh, she's hilarious because her ear is starting to get tuned in on the things that I hear. So she's like hearing things and um, making connections in music that she wouldn't have made without watching me do stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really cool to see, like, when you, like, you're like, yeah, do you hear that? Do you, listen, play that back. You hear just, like, the weird, like, whatever in in the track, and then you start to become yeah. aware of that, and, like, as, yes. as someone who's around, someone who's always aware of that shit, you're like, oh, I do oh, hear yeah. that, too, you know? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Well, she got it so much that she actually did something that I was completely in shock and awe of. I was completely surprised that she made the connection between the Beatles' Lady Madonna and Sublime, what I got. It's the same riff. It's the same song. Rise up in the morning, strap shoes on my feet, light me up that cigarette next, blah, blah, blah. And then you sing Lady Madonna, <laughs> children at your feet. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't hear that. I don't know how she heard it. <laughs> well, everyone's coming from like a different perspective center, you know, and like everything that you, we like is either something that is from something else we've been exposed to or neurologically how we're, we're, how we're solving those uh, uh, cadences or rhythmic closures in our mind. You know, and like, yeah, so the things that really resonate are something you already like, <laughs> like, yeah. And any drummer will tell you that we all steal from each other. Right. And like, oh, and in the drummers community, it's welcomed. In yeah. fact, it's a, it's a sign of honor. How many drummers have stolen from John Bonham or Ringo, you know, or Keith Moon. So it's kind of like interesting that sometimes now after my records come out, I see some other drummers that I'm friends with and I. They're picking up on stuff that I'm doing and like trying to do it. And I'm like, am I influencing that or are they stealing that from me? Is that... <laughs> That's cool. So it's really cool. It's, it's awesome to see. Yeah. 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 And you know, like with like, I, I, as a drummer, I imagine a lot of the big picture things are what it's taken away. Like, oh, okay. It's a shuffle. It's this, you know what I mean? Like, and so those nuances are what is, what is exciting. It's like finding the, yeah. like, well, this is a part of a clave, but also then it goes, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever it is, like finding the understanding, the big picture of the feel and like finding those subsections or subdivisions that really define the individual player. Yeah. You, you said the one correct word there was feel. Um, one thing Butch Norton taught me right off the bat, because I was a chopper, I was doing all the Neil Peart stuff. And uh, he told me it's all about groove and feel and kind of everything will follow from there 
So when you talk about subdivisions and different things going on in clave and stuff like that, that's all really just technical parts of a, a groove right, or a feel right, right. of something. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. When you listen to music, what do you feel? You feel the pulse. That's what makes you move, right? Yeah. Everything yep. else is, once you're moving, you hear everything else. Once you're in that yeah. groove of it. Um, so, like, when coming from, like, like it's interesting to, to come from, like, kind of a rock, I mean, like, a rock-centered thing and, like, wanting just to do it and diving into different cultures and then, like, coming out with your solo records. Like, with one thing I found interesting with, like, Rhythm Changes um, is there's a track, and I can't remember if it's the first or second track, that you hear a train, a, a sample of a train, and then you start oh, to yeah. play along to this train. And then I'm, yeah. in Wabi Sabi, <laughs> there's a track where you hear someone walking, and then you play yeah. with the walking. And I found it really interesting in that way that, like, you're building off, like, this kind of, like, um, from, like, a train transportation to the, the Shoelace Express. You know what I mean? Like, like this idea of yeah. like, building It's off. all about the journey. Um, I, I'm heavily influenced by bands like Pink Floyd and Radiohead, so... I'm an album listener. And what I mean by that is I listen to the whole album as like a movie. Um, so for me, I wanted to make the listen very much a journey. And uh, it made sense. Um, that was actually me walking. I, I went out in a field and recorded it. And uh, I had the uh, specific track that I wanted to connect together. I was like, oh, well, I'll go from Fremont Meadows into a blessed unrest. And it kind of, well, first it was like, I need to make this transition because a blessed unrest was recorded in a separate location. So I wanted, it was going to stick out a little bit audio sonic wise. It was going to be different. So I wanted to sort of make it a departure from the rest of the songs on the, on the album that were recorded in a studio. This one was recorded live. So I wanted to like really take the listener to that specific tent at the festival with the drummers all jamming. So to be able to like connect the sound of walking to like give you the picture in your mind that, yeah, there's a journey here. And uh, with the train, that was completely, um, I don't know, what, I don't know why I did that, but I was just like, <laughs> I want to have a train on here just because I just thought it'd be interesting. And I'm just looking for new things to do. Like rhythm cadence was all about just experimenting and just seeing if I could even get away with it. And Wabi Sabi was sort of like, okay, I can do this. Now what do I got to say? So I really wanted to make it a journey. I, I, I hate to cheap out and say it, but I kind of tell people when they want to like know more about it, like what's, what's this record all about? And I just say to them, it's sort of like drum side of the moon. If you could put it that way. Um, just the idea that there's not necessarily a concept, but there's a, there's a journey and a story to be told within the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. I've been saying rhythm changes. Like, <laughs> I, I've been I've been shedding like the the rhythm changes every morning. I'm like fuck. <laughs> rhythm cadence. That's okay, man. Nah. <laughs> but 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 it, it like what what I found interesting with those two like those are both rhythms everyone experiences as but mo modes of trans like moving like is a rhythm. Life's in yeah. this rhythm. We're constantly moving and and even just like our day-to-day -day process is a rhythm and our year is a rhythm. Um, so to kind of dive yeah. into, for you, what's the journey with Wabi Sabi? Oh, that's a good question. I, uh, 
I think it's something to do with, I mean, when I picture what I think the story is to me, it could be different to anybody. Um, and I kind of hate to say like what it is to me because I want people to make up their own idea of what it is to them. But I think in a weird way, it sort of signifies society's struggle to be free to be itself. Um, there's a track on there called Ubuntu, which the definition of that term Ubuntu is an African term that we all work well together as one. Why separate? So uh, there's a story that a man had a basket of food and he said, the first person in the circle, like they all stood in the circle around the basket of food. They said the first person to get to the food has all of it for free. So rather than that, all of them run every man for himself, they held arms and all walked towards the food together as one unit and they could all have the food. So that's the idea of that we all stick together as one. Um, and then it moves into sort of like the second half of the record is darker. And there's a song on there called Age of Descent, where it's kind of like I'm setting it up the story to be where there's a conflict. And the conflict to me was um, society being its own worst enemy, especially these days, um, coming to terms with itself and then sort of coming out on the other side um, with a deeper understanding of humanity, I guess. I sound like such a sap, but, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what it is to me. Um, I think uh, it's just a reflection of how I see society and how I think it should move into a better place. Um, which, with the end of the whole album, with A Blessed Unrest, it's kind of like um, the conclusion, but yet there's still, like, more to come. Uh, so... I'm trying to like, you know, really, I'm, it's a good question. I'm still really not that good at conceptualizing my song, as you can tell from me talking about it, but it's all a learning process for me right now. And that's, what's exciting. Right. Well, it keeps just that still undefinedness, like undefined, uh, it keeps it still creative and keeps it still alive. If it's too defined, it, it has its meaning and that's it. Um, next yeah. thing, you know? Um, and what what I found really interesting with this record, it it has this really live feel, and there's this real flow to it, and it's not like I don't I don't feel anything's quantized or anything's like a sample oh, or no. anything. I feel like it's very in the room, very live, and like as part as like what what music is now. A lot of it is quantized, and I'm sure yeah, those and are great tools, but exactly, and I am anti-quantizing. <laughs> um, in fact. My my work ethic for this record and for all records I do now is that, yeah, okay, you can fix it in the box later, but you're taking the soul out of the performance. So rather than cheat, I'll just do my homework and I'll continue to perform the part until I get it right. No editing and no chopping and no quantizing. And so it's really just putting my nose to the grindstone and doing the homework and doing the work and hashing it out until it's right. If it's not right, do it over again and learn it, you know, and do my homework. And so along with Butch Norton's practice regime that he's been working with me on, uh, with doing multiple takes on one song, um, learning how to play the performance complete all the way through 
and you know really being the responsible drummer um, one of my favorite quotes from jimmy chamberlain from smashing pumpkins is there is nothing worse than a drummer that knows how to pro tools <laughs> and nothing against drummers that do that but for me i wanted this to be completely organic i didn't want to cheat and i wanted to see what i was capable of you know i wanted to push myself it definitely it definitely within with the microtonalism of like the uh the the slide hammer dulcimer you know like there's there's so much within this that breathes that creativity and that real that realism to it where it's like some of those notes because of their microtonal don't sound in tune you know like but and also like kind of with the narrative that you're piecing together to explain this piece like i think like keeps that message and that purity and like the fact that it's kind of undefined is the same thing within it. Like, does that make sense? Like the, yeah, the looseness of not being able to move it exactly to the 16th note of the one or whatever, or to shift it up to a C keeps that always like, kind of like something you go back to. That's what, like with, with this record, I had to listen to it a few times, even kind of like begin to like, think about how to like talk about it. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is yeah cool. I had the same experience when I started listening to Harry Park. Uh, yeah. Yeah, in a way, um, the term wabi sabi, what the title's record or the record's title is, uh, it's a Japanese term, and uh, I learned about this term when I was watching Joe Rogan, and he had David Lee Roth oh, on his podcast. Yeah, with the broken pot, right? Ah, uh, I don't remember that part. Okay, but, uh, I'll let you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh yeah, um, it was one of David Lee Roth's. I think it was the first interview he did on Joe Rogan. He talked about what wabi sabi is. And he described it as um, that worn pair of jeans that, you know, got the hole in it, but they feel and fit just right. Mm. So wabi-sabi, the term is a Japanese term that is beauty within the imperfection. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, the example I, I like, because I listened to that interview and that was a good one. David Lee Roth is... <laughs> incredibly charismatic and charming and oh, yeah. hilarious um but I, also david lee roth <laughs> like yeah but man uh, i learned about that term from uh i forget i forget where it was but like there used to be this process of wabi-sabi where um individuals would break a bowl like they would make a bowl you know and like it'd be perfect and they'd break it and they would put it back together but the cracks would be uh, melded with gold, so oh, now wow, the imperfections cool. are what makes that pot or that cup. Uh, I can't remember at the moment which one was. But sure, those imperfections are what brings beauty to it. Well, Absolutely, um, and it's the same with with everything and with people. You know, right. the beauty about a person is not only the great things, but the struggle that they go through in life makes them a good person because of it, and the individual becomes you know you celebrate all aspects of what the person or the thing is and that's where you know a lot of creativity comes from that too right right yeah that's that's cool man like so uh, to celebrate the the uh the cracks in the pot you know that's um it's it takes a lot of uh uh i don't know what the word is but i don't see a lot of musicians really celebrating the imperfections I don't think they're understanding that 
you know, there's a lot of happy mistakes that happen too when you're recording. And that's where a lot of inspiration comes from too. Um, everybody wants to quantize and everybody wants it to be completely in key. And, you know, there's the formula for a pop song. Everybody wants to race to the top and get it all right now without doing the work and without any creativity, honestly. So, and sort of a way, my uh, way to get back at society was to do something that was not normal. <laughs> and, uh, and to be creative because, you know, I don't really have any reason to try to, you know, compete in a market with songwriters or anything like that i'm doing this really for myself and thankfully people like you and people that are fans of my music with the town pants and other drummers are digging what i do and so it's encouraging to keep me uh keep creating yeah well no definitely you definitely should um what one um have you ever uh dove into moondog He's a no, he's, but I've definitely heard a lot. Okay, being I, from New I York and being into uh, the avant-garde uh, compositionisms, I think you would dig his stuff too. <laughs> I've uh, I think I've heard like one or two songs. He's quite the character, right? Right, right. He had the like the yeah. Viking helmet. I think he was blind. Yeah. And like I got kind of a Captain Beefheart, yeah, thing out of him. I think when I looked him up one time, I definitely. He's an older guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like a wizard. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're thinking about the same guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, but you know, it's stuff like that that like is celebrated in a different way than other music, and like so much of like how you consume music defines what's going to be like the target to make it right, and like yeah, like stuff like Spotify. There's like there's algorithms that 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 you know that take for a uh, account the preciseness of like uh the rhythms like you know what i mean like it's yeah people quantize for a reason like so much of everything's so perfect it's it's so it can almost get heard you know and even yeah like, with uh auto tune like it's crazy like the algorithm how it dissects certain music and puts it in well i think what you're really getting into and what's even more on steroids the point that you're making is the um what people have come to call the cicada hi-hat the cicada hi-hat. Oh, it's the yeah, yeah. I call it the water sprinkler. <laughs> so a lot of people were putting that in their music so that the algorithm would pick up. Oh, you like those cicada hi-hats? So listen to this song, and yeah. that's what, and it really just doesn't do any justice to those a that are making their own music that don't have an algorithm that'll pick up on what they're doing, and you know it's sort of like cheating. Yeah. Really, it's weird how people have learned to manipulate things like an algorithm and they create their music for that. Um, and it's discouraging. And, you know, I'm not going to preach to anybody on how to make their music. Everybody's got their own way to do things, which is beautiful itself. I just prefer music that is uh, undefinable. Right. And, you know, growing up in like being in these like kind of folk cultures and like folk music, cult like that's the real deal, you know? Like it's yeah. happening right there. When do you hear it? When he comes back. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love that. Like, yeah, and that's what the definition of folk music is. It's music yeah. of the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool, man. Like, but yeah, it's it's interesting. And like, you know, I think so much of what the bands that do really make a move and really shake things just do their thing forever, or the artist, we should say, and they do their thing forever, and people get hip to it. But forever, it's the underdog story, and like, and they're even like, 
even though everything is kind of like put together in this way that it's feeding the mill and like so many like artists that do have the cicada like you know hi-hat and like have these things that get them all these plays usually those are the guys that don't stick around too too long you know right like that's the difference there's the there's the purity of the reservoir of the artist and like how deep they go within that and like that always cuts through no matter no matter what and or how yeah i think it's really i think it's really the the artist's intent you know why are they making this song are they making it because they want to get likes? Are they making it because they want to really got something in their soul that they got to express? Or are they making it because they want to make money? There's all different, you know, reasons to want to make music. But uh, to me, I, you know, I just make music because I love art. And I love organic art. And, you know, I've I've gone through a lot of different kinds of music and played with a lot of different musicians. And... I have never really come across other musicians, except for drummers, that really embraced the idea of improving, of improvisation and just letting, like, this higher power, I don't know if you call it God, I'm not really a religious person or nature or whatever, but letting the higher power come through you and just channeling that feeling or that spirit and creating something completely new out of thin air um there's not a lot of that going on in other communities but there's definitely a lot of that in drummers and the drummers that i look up to are all about that kind of thing yeah well even like traditionally you play and you, there's this like or if you look like a drum circle type of mentality like you're playing and you get into like a hypnotic kind of mantra of the mind right where yeah. you just whatever it is and as soon as someone hits something different it becomes like a a ripple effect of did you hear that that's cool how that would and then you start to like react to that and i think that only comes from the repetitiveness and like the being able to focus on that and like i think that that was yeah. really well said that was re- that's that's cool man um nice you, yeah, this is a great interview, Zig. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing this, man. Um, before I go, uh, before you go, before we go, um, have <laughs> you uh, have you heard James Mushler? That's a, new to me. He's a he's a drummer. He's got this record. Remind me, I'll send it to you on a. I did an interview with him. He was in the band Moon Hooch. Um, cool, man. And he uh, he came out with this record, and it's a lot of like, uh, it's percussion and gongs and shit, and like. It's the whole concept is like the birth of the universe. So it starts off slow, gets chaotic, and then comes back. But with yeah, the, that's awesome. I'd love to check that out. I think it's right up your alley. Um, but so I'll, Sweet. I'll send that to you via email. But hey, man, thanks for doing this and thanks for reaching out. This is a this has been really cool. I really dug do, uh, jumping into your your records. And this thanks, cool, Dick. A cool talk. Yeah, man. If people want to find out more about me, I have a website. It's just my name, drums.com. So it's Jeff Tripoli, drums.com. And uh, for listeners, I'll, I'll spell it J E F F T R I P O L I, Jeff Tripoli, drums.com. And I got a whole bunch of stuff up there. I got videos, and people can reach out to me, and hopefully they'll, they'll get a little bit of inspiration. Yeah. Oh, and dude, congrats on the, the World Drum Club video. Oh, cool. thanks, man. I go to Kalani is the best, man. Yeah. I totally didn't expect that. He was he went above and beyond for me. I'm, I love that guy. Really great drummer too. He's got a great YouTube channel. I go to him all the time for for uh, teaching.
But anyway, Jeff, yeah, thanks man. so much right for on. talking, man. This has been fun. Thank you, Zig, man. This has been a great podcast. Thank you so much, man. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang. <laughs>